Um, and now as we are say saying our hosannas, we're going to move directly into our scripture, which is the story of Palm Sunday as told in the Gospel of Mark. And Lisa is going to come and read our scripture for this morning. Lisa. The scripture today is from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage in Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the ground, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, thank you for your presence with us as we move into Holy Week, as we travel with Jesus um, into Jerusalem towards Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and the cross in the hope of resurrection. May your word come to life in us. Amen. Palm Sunday as the start to Holy Week has never made a whole lot of sense to me. Even as a kid, as a kid, I got Advent and Christmas. We wait together for the birth of the baby Jesus, lighting candles in the dark, and then Jesus is born, and we all celebrate. That makes perfect sense. But Palm Sunday, in the church where I grew up and maybe in churches that you know, we would celebrate Palm Sunday with all the kids lining up, each with our palm branch, and we would march into the sanctuary waving those palms as we all sang, Tell me the stories of Jesus. I love to hear things I would ask him to tell me if he were here. In the moment, it was pretty cool. But that Palm Sunday celebration then led into the rest of Holy Week. And back to church on Monday, Thursday, there was this ominous communion service, which led into the outright brutality of the Good Friday story. And then Easter, suddenly it was time to celebrate all over again. About the third year I experienced this, maybe fifth or sixth grade, we lined up on Palm Sunday again with our palms. We marched in with everyone singing, 
tell me the stories of Jesus I love to hear. And I thought, um, does anyone here remember how this story goes? <laughs> Though I wouldn't have used this word then, the whole experience had a certain amount of foolishness to it. Why would anyone tell a story like that? In the Gospel of Mark, here's how the story goes. This year, we've been traveling with Jesus from the beginning, from his baptism and the moment Jesus begins his ministry saying, the time is now, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news and we're off. Jesus teaching and healing, finishing one thing, immediately moving on to the next. We pick up the story today as Jesus makes his way toward Jerusalem the center of political and economic power, joining all the pilgrims who are traveling there for Passover. As he stands on the threshold of Jerusalem, he prepares to enter in, and he says to two of his disciples, go into the village and find me a colt, a donkey. You'll find one tied up, one who has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone asks you what you're doing, just tell them the Lord needs it. They go, find the colt, just as Jesus said, Sure enough, someone asks them what they're doing. They tell them the Lord needs it, and they let them take it, just like Jesus said. The disciples put their cloaks on the donkey for Jesus to sit on, and as Jesus rides in toward the city gate amid the Passover pilgrims heading into Jerusalem, the crowd begins to line his way with their cloaks. They gather leafy branches from the fields, and they begin to shout over and over, Hosanna, which means save us, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of David, Hosanna in the highest heaven, and Jesus enters Jerusalem. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem has rather strangely become a triumphant royal procession. That's what everyone would have seen and known. This is how conquering kings or emperors enter a city they now rule. And here Jesus is like a king, processing in on a donkey. As one writer describes it, with their cloaks, the people honor him with the only red carpet treatment they can offer. It's a strange scene. And then the Gospel of Mark says that Jesus enters Jerusalem, goes into the temple, he looks around at everything, and it's late. So he heads back out of Jerusalem, back to Bethany, where he is staying for the night. That's it for now. And that's strange too. Jesus makes this triumphal entry, goes to the temple and looks around, and then he goes home for the night. That's strange for the Gospel of Mark. In Mark, the action is nonstop. One thing happens, and then another. Jesus does this, and then immediately does this, and then immediately does this. But here, Jesus stops the action and takes a look around. It's different from the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, where there's no pause, no break in the action. The triumphal entry leads to the clearing of the temple, and then relentlessly onto the cross. But here, Jesus stops the action and takes a look around. I'd never noticed that before. In the moment between Palm Sunday and the rest of Holy Week, Jesus stops and takes it all in and gives us a moment to do that too. As I, as I puzzled with the story this week, it dawned on me, oh, Jesus knows exactly where this story is going. That's why he pauses to take it all in. He has been telling his disciples and us all along, remember? 
Back when Peter is the first disciple to say to Jesus, you are the Christ, Jesus responds saying, the human one must suffer, be rejected by the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. The disciples don't get it and are too afraid to ask, but as they go on, travel on, he'll tell them this again and again. The third time he'll tell them this, he will tell them as they're going on up to Jerusalem, see, we are going to Jerusalem. The son of man, the human one will be handed over, condemned, mocked, spit upon, flogged, killed, and after three days, he will rise again. And in this strange triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus is saying it yet again with his whole self. What Jesus does in this morning's scripture is a performative act. What Brian Blunt calls an interventionist proclamation, what Charles Campbell describes as a carefully orchestrated piece of street theater. You've heard actions speak louder than words. Well, Jesus gives that a try. Jesus has planned this out. And the scripture says it all goes according to plan. The donkey, just as Jesus said. The people who lend the donkey to the cause, just as Jesus said. Jesus joins the crowd of jubilant Passover pilgrims, and he turns it into a triumphal military conquering procession. And as he does so, As Charles Campbell rather bluntly describes it, Jesus lampoons the political powers through a carefully planned carnivalesque military procession. It is, Campbell continues, one of the wildest and most explosive acts in Jesus's ministry. Jesus is not only taking on the powers, he is doing a parody of them and proclaiming a new reality. What we see here is a special kind of foolishness. Jesus gets up on a donkey like a king or a general and leads in triumph an army of jubilant pilgrims living under empire, coming to the center of power to celebrate their story of liberation. He subverts the the domination systems of their day, takes their conventions and turns them on their head, and he proclaims a new order. Jesus proclaims a reality yet unseen, and in this embodied moment, he makes it so. Jesus takes his body and invites the bodies of others to enter into and occupy public space and proclaim with their bodies a new order of liberation. It is performative and proclamation and protest all at once. And we know what this looks like, what a constitutional scholar might call expressive conduct or symbolic speech. I think of the first protest I ever went to. It was a take back the night march back in law school. They were pretty common on university campuses in the early 1990s, a way to raise awareness about violence against women. Folks gathered from across campus, marching through nighttime streets and campus spaces. We took back the night with flashlights and headlamps and chants, most importantly, as female bodies led us, accompanied by the bodies of friends and family, taking back public space, challenging a particular type of violence and embodying a different and a better way. 
I think about that moment a few years later when my friend Alicia and I emerged from the Smithsonian Metro Station on the Mall in Washington, D.C., and as far as we could see from the U.S. Capitol to the Washington Monument, we saw the AIDS quilt blanketing the civic heart of our nation. For years of the AIDS epidemic, folks from all across the country had made quilts remembering and celebrating the lives of loved ones lost to AIDS. And on that weekend, they quilted those quilts together. As a song by Sweet Honey in the Rock remembers those who had been lost and that moment, they unfolded your lives one by one. They laid out your patchwork under the sun and people gathered for miles around to witness your quilt spread on the ground. It was a performative act of love on a grand and national scale, subverting the formal federal space of the mall and filling it with the power of love and remembrance. In that moment, a community held these lives in love before a nation that said that it could not muster the resources to respond to a pandemic. Of course, we now know that when a pandemic is understood to impact more than gay and black bodies, the nation can muster all the resources that it needs. I think of gay pride parades and Black Lives Matter protests where people who have for too long been marginalized occupy public space to say that our lives will no longer be hidden or discounted. I think of moments like these in the Texas State House, in the Marin Board of Education, in Market Street, in San Francisco. And where we find ourselves here in hope, and where we're Rebecca Solnit talks about this in her book, Wanderlust, Wanderlust, A History of Walking, how we make meaning by placing our bodies in time and space. She writes of the many ways we do this, but particularly of the ways we do it together in processions, parades, and protests, which she points out are all about ordinary folks moving through public space for expressive rather than practical purposes. Public marches, she writes, mingle the meaning-making language of pilgrimage with the power of persistent picketing and with festival as the boundaries between strangers recede and the distinction between word and deed is blurred. In public procession and performative action, she says, we make history ourselves 
We walk together and the whole street is for the stamping out of the meaning of the day. We are no longer an audience to our lives, but a force. It is no longer a journey, but an arrival. This is what Jesus is doing on Palm Sunday, inviting us with his body, gathered with our bodies, to proclaim the good news he has come to make real. And we're not talking only about protest. In what may seem like a very different way, we have been thinking carefully all year about how we place our bodies in space in relation to each other and we've been making meaning. We've been practicing physical distancing as what might at first have been a counterintuitive way of embodying compassion and compare for each other. And in that care, transcending every barrier, we have found connection in ways we never thought possible and awakened a creative spirit we had not yet dreamed. We are talking today about the blessing of foolishness. May God bless us with just enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this old world so that we might go and do those things that others say cannot be done. When we speak of foolishness in this way, we are not talking about foolhardiness. And I want to be clear that we are not talking about recklessness that causes harm to others or to ourselves. The foolishness of which we speak is the ability to see and live beyond the conventions and constraints of our day, beyond the powers that hold us back, and the ability to see possibilities for life beyond those constraints, along with the courage to live that out. This kind of foolishness sees those barriers plainly and soberly and then transcends them in ways that others think impossible. Impossible, that is, until they come to life in us. Now, to be sure, Jesus's performative act on Palm Sunday is a political act. And most of the examples I've drawn from are from political movements. This scripture is about liberation from systems of domination as embodied in Jesus Christ and in us. And it is about more. I want to be very clear. What we are talking about here, ultimately, what Jesus is proclaiming as he enters in Jerusalem, what we are talking about is resurrection. And I know by saying that, I am breaking all sorts of preaching conventions. We are supposed to save resurrection for Easter Sunday, but resurrection is always a present reality for us right here, right now, all the time. What Jesus Christ did in his life and on the cross, entering into death and bringing us into new life once and for all has put an end to the ultimate power of everything that will do us harm, including death and has established once and for all the reign of God, shattering the constraints and conventions of the powers that used to hold sway, standing on this side of resurrection. Resurrection is our reality every moment of every day in every season of life. What Jesus is doing now is inviting us to live into that reality. We bless the world with foolishness by proclaiming resurrection with our bodies on those nights that feel like Maundy Thursday, where sorrow and betrayal are thick in the room, and even so, we choose to live lives of compassion and mercy. 
We bless the world with foolishness by proclaiming resurrection with our bodies on those days that feel like Good Friday, where we see and experience sometimes it seems everywhere injustice, violence, and the oppression of people. And even so, we persist in the steady work of justice, freedom, and peace. We bless the world with foolishness by proclaiming resurrection with our bodies when we are present in all that and still have scope for the imagination to see resurrection present here and now in the midst of us. After Jesus enters into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey to shouts of loud hosannas, he goes quietly to the temple and he takes it all in. He looks out over the temple and Jerusalem and on into Holy Week and the struggle, the last heartbreaking supper, the agony of the garden, the arrest, the trial, the cross. Jesus looks out on all that and beyond that into resurrection. He takes it all in and he gives us a moment to take it all in too. And then it's as if he turns to us and says, on the threshold of Holy Week, can you see all that? And are you ready?